Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ship Talking. I'm Robbie, and I'm joined, as always, with my best friend in real life, Brandon. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing great. I can't believe that we're almost at the end of the year. It's it's absolutely insane right now trying to wrap up projects over here in my little corner of the world. How about you? What's going on? I know. I feel like this year went by so slow and yet so fast at the same time. You know, speaking of presents, I have to say, Brandon, seeing you as the executive producer for the show, <laughs> after watching last week's episode of Discovery, I'm thinking I need a little bit of a sun crown tiara to help me with my <laughs> creativity. So, um, you know, I think you need to make it happen or execute it. So. I really enjoyed this week's discovery. Uh, It's our first two-parter in quite a while, so looking forward to next week's and seeing what happened. But without giving too many spoilers, I was glad we paid a visit to, you know, that other place. That other place. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I I also think one thing that really stuck out was the last couple episodes. Again, no spoilers, um, but seeing as we're a show about ships, I have to say that... There definitely was some ship-to-ship battles that occurred that have taken it to the next level. And Mm -hmm. from a technical viewpoint, I was just like, wow, like, you know, just everything about it, character development, technical development, just I'm so impressed. Yeah, it was great to see ship battles again. It had been a while since we got a scene like that. So mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, you know, not saying that I want everything to be destruction, but, you know, we do love our ships and we do love their firepower. Absolutely. And the crowns. Uh, I, I still want that tiara, just so you know. <laughs> Noted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to announce another bit of exciting news with our listeners. Robbie, George, and I have another new crewmate. James Amy has joined the show as our community manager. He's a huge star trek stand like the rest of us and he has tons of experience with community management and he's already planning a lot of fun things for the community so do keep an eye and an ear out Uh, unless you're a ferengi your lobes are perpetually open so i'm also really excited that james is joining not only is he bringing the expertise in our community management he also hails from england He's from the East Coast part of the country. And so uh, also now I have to say there's now two British accents and an Irish accent on the on the team. Well, Irish American twang. Right? Exactly. Well, I, I kind of thinking I want to have an accent. So I'm thinking a little pip pip cheerio, a little uh, good evening. <laughs> no, gov- I'm stopping you there. No? I'm stopping you. No. There. OK. No, I'm stopping you there. But I was going to say that the Europeans now outweigh the number of Americans on the pod. But uh, UK is not part of the EU anymore. But OK, we're not going to go there. Let's just stop that there however now that we have george and james on the team we have to be very clear when we're saying the queen do we mean the borg queen or do we mean hrm the queen you know what i mean i'm thinking we need to kind of be careful here so i have you seen the photo of the hrm as the Borg Queen, like, floating down <laughs> with the tubes. I have not, but I think we need to put this on Twitter. Oh, you know what? James. 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 We'll have James <laughs> on up, it. Put it up. Yep. All right. I love it. So on this week's episode, we're excited to welcome two Trek legends to the show, Tobias Richter and Donnie Versaja. Tobias and Donnie have both been digitally modeling Star Trek ships for many years, and Tobias's digital imagery company, The Lightworks, is well-renowned in the Trek universe for CGI animation and special effects, and Donnie is a ship artist on Star Trek Online. Absolutely. And also, Tobias often builds ships for Star Trek Online, and both he and Donnie work together to get them player-ready. But... This is actually the first time that they're ever meeting each other. 
Our chat with the two of them during the episode will be 13 minutes long, and our monthly patrons that are subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher will have access to the full, expanded chat that's runtime is around 48 minutes. Before we chat with the two of them, we're going to discuss the answers you all sent in for this week's community queue, in addition to sharing the new one. And after the chat with the guys, we'll move into the all hands on deck drill segment, and then also announce our special guest for the next episode. So what a lot of you might not realize is that when you look at the ships, either on the movies, the TV shows, the video games and comics, the artists who render these, they take this a really great holistic approach to looking at it from multiple ways. For example, they look at it, design, what they can do. They also have to work with the constraints of the time for their project. And what we're yeah. lucky about with the two artists that we're having today is that not only are they well-renowned within the Star Trek franchise, they've worked on a lot of other sci-fi universes and franchise shows. And I really think what's great about this is that we're going to be able to kind of provide that inside-outside look of these ships. And a lot of you know their work, and we're really excited to bring that to you today. Yeah, I'm just going to say plus one to everything Robbie said. I couldn't have said it better. Well, we have a lot of fun trek ahead, so let's go ahead and get to it. Warp over to this week's Community Q segment. For this week's Community Q, we asked you all to let us know what your favorite ship sound was. Okay, so I know what you're all thinking, ship sound, but what we were really going for this was we wanted you to think Again, you're in the ship, you're flying the ship, you're commanding the ship, or also from the perspective as a fan, you know, and you're seeing mm-hmm. these beautiful ships, right, Brandon? And so we wanted to know really what inspired you and excited you. And Brandon and I were so excited about the sheer amount of answers and submissions that we received. And yeah. it definitely goes to show that all of you definitely had parts about the ship as far as the sounds that excited you. So the most submitted ship sound that all of you like the most, which was really interesting because it was actually a combination of a variety of noises in one particular location, that was on the ship's bridge. Now, the sounds that you enjoyed were a variety and included the ambience and bleeps and bloops and the entering inputs into a console or sliding onto a console. I also really enjoy those sounds. There's nothing like the crisp sound of entering something into an L-Cars pad in the morning, right? <laughs> well, and, and you know, what, what I really liked is that we see that as the technology with Star Trek improves, you see now with, with Discovery to where there's a different interface. What's nice is that it's making more sense that this is futuristic, mm-hmm. right? So when we saw the original series and Next Gen... We saw these TV panels, essentially, that had a very simple beep-boop-beep-boop and an mm-hmm. interface, right? Now, these noises are corresponding to this very far off into the future technology. It's, it's extremely interesting and really awesome. And it's also evolved with Discovery, right? They've got programmable matter, so they're not actually touching anything. They're, you know, manipulating the space in front of them with their hands. So what's that sound like? I don't know if we've really heard too much of that sound. So we might not have as many bleeps and bloops, you know, necessarily from a console. But of course, we've still got that ambience and that, you know, that that you yeah. hear <laughs> walking around the sound. I don't know how to describe it. Then. Well, but you, <laughs> oh my, you know, I feel like 
like we need to get like that little sound bit there. Um, speaking of funny, interesting noises, right, is that now that in Discovery that the Spore drive has been changed because of Adira and the interface into the Spore cube has that type of interactive matter. Now mm-hmm. I could almost imagine like a squelchy, squishy noise, you know, uh. when he puts his hand into it. <laughs> I could. It's almost like a moist noise. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's back. Okay, well, I'm going to walk away from the moist noises (laughs) and squelchy noises. So moving along from that, there was a lot of other awesome suggestions that you submitted, and we have to highlight a couple of them. So first of all, phaser strips. Totally agree. The next one, which was the sound of the warp core, which could be heard throughout the ship or especially in engineering. Thank you, Boimler. Yes. Uh, Photon torpedoes and door chimes. Uh Those are so classic. Love them. I kind of would love to have my door when I open have like a little door chime going on. So I'm sure they make something like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to have George look into that too. So, <laughs> um, okay. And of course we have to announce our best troll submission, which was Kirk passing gas during the original series episode court martial. Okay. I actually had to go look this up because I was like, did this actually happen? I mean, or what, maybe was there a sound in the background? And of course I ended up going down the proverbial wormhole, finding fan-made YouTube videos where fart effects were added to episodes where he either like <laughs> bent over or picked up something. But there was actually debate about an audible fart-like sound heard in the episode Spectre of the Gun. So Kirk's sitting in his captain's chair and he kind of pivots to the side and you hear a squeak and it's like, could that be? It's actually probably just the leather, but you know what? Fair play to this troll submission uh, for making me do research. And I, I spent about 30 minutes watching Kirk farting. Okay, Brandon, we need to work on your, uh, you know, <laughs> like a little, we, we, we'll talk about that later. So for the next community queue, we want to know what would you name your ship if you got to choose it and why would you pick that name? Okay, so I'm really excited for this because I can only imagine what everybody is going to come up with. Now, you guys, James just joined, so let's try to keep the names not too explicit so he doesn't (laughs) have to do damage control and be all over PR So and have to have a PR nightmare for him. Not, Not until like later on, maybe a couple of episodes, but think up those names, share them with us. You can email it to us, send it via website submission or even via Twitter. Please do. All right, I think Tobias and Donnie are about to beam in, so let's go grab our seats and tend forward. Thomas reached out to me originally to apply to Star Trek Online because he knew that I was a fan of the show and they were looking for more fans of the show to work on the game. Not that the other guys that work on the game aren't fans, but Thomas knew I was a super fan, that I knew what a nacelle was. And, a, <laughs> and, and you know, like he, he looks for people like that to work on the team so that he doesn't have to explain to them how a Star Trek ship works pretty much. And Tobias, how long have you actually been working on Stowe? Because um, that was news to me when I took a couple years break after moving to Ireland to kind of start up a new life here. And I got back in and they're like, oh, Tobias is actually making ships. I'm like, what? I've loved Tobias's work forever. So it was actually really cool to see you doing work as well. And don't get me wrong. I love all of the ship artists on STO. You guys do brilliant work. And it's so cool they get to work alongside Tobias. But when did you get involved? I'm not quite sure. It must be three, four years ago. Uh, Thomas asked us because they wanted to redo it, a version of Deep Space Nine. And we had a very exact uh, high-res model. Ah, yeah. And he asked if we could convert that to a game model. Mm. And so that was the first model that we did. And then 
it went on and on and on till now and hopefully in the future. As somebody who is a huge DS9 fan, the rendering and the work that you did on the station is just so beautiful. And Brandon would sent that to me multiple times when it came out. And I just, myself, I'm like thinking, oh, I wish the original show was this nice, like the actual <laughs> image of the station. You worked on that high-res model because you had thought that maybe a remastered DS9 was going to come out. And I know they used your work, of course, for TNG. But is that where you got that model ready from so that it was ready for them to be able to tap you to use? That was the initial idea that I wanted to have the Deep Space Nine. I did the runabout, I did Defined. And I had hoped because they used the TNG models for me that maybe there's a chance to work on the remaster as well. But that didn't turn out. So, yeah. <laughs> but I had a phase where I did a lot of high-res models for Star Trek not exactly knowing they would be used in some sort just for fun for myself. That's so. the best part is when you can actually work on something that's like, I'm just going to do this for fun. And then, oh, you get a tap on your shoulder. Oh, we'd actually like to use this. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, it's that's that's magical. You always hope that. And when it materializes, it's, it's all the better. Yeah. And of course, you get to make these amazing high def models. And then that kind of process, Donna, you have to go through, I imagine, you know, you're getting it ready for player consumption. But as you mentioned, that game engine polygon counts, you have to think about all of that. And how does it still render? How big is it going to be in the game? You know, because it is still a video game at the end of the day. But did you have your hands on DS9 when it came in? Or was that Nick? Uh, that was Nick. I was still on the environment team when that came in, actually. So me and Nick were working together on the DSpace Nine interiors, and that came in. And there was a lot of back and forth between Thomas and Nick at that time to get the model ready for our game. But I remember Thomas telling the story that he was looking at Tobias's DSpace Nine model hmm. before you know he reached out to him. He was like, "Man, really wish we could just have this in the game." And he <laughs> thought, "Well, why can't we ask him?" You know, so he went. He asked the higher ups at Star Trek Online and stuff, and uh, he was really proud of that moment that he was like, "Well." I'm just going to ask Tobias and the powers that be if we can use this and uh, go from there. So when we had Rick on and we had different people who worked with DS9, for the station itself, we only saw a portion of the promenade. We didn't see the entire station. So when you're designing this for the game, I'm imagining that there's so many things that you could go with. So getting to that point to what you put on, you must go through a process of, okay, we're going to keep this, keep this. We're not going to go with that. Are you talking about the interiors? Yes, the interiors. Well, yeah, uh, for the Deep Space Nine stuff, we stuck pretty much to what was in the show, but we made, instead of like a half ring of the promenade, we did a whole ring. I got to work on fleshing out the interiors of a Jim Hadar ship, oh. which we, we only saw like just very little bit of it. And right. we saw a little bit of the bridge in a few episodes of Deep Space Nine. And then the hallways were just in one episode and it was a very bare bones set. And what I did was I took that bare bones set and we were like, well, what can we add to this? It still looks like it would be on that original set but make it look a little better because it was really kind of a crappy set it was very uh very basic and i worked with our wonderful concept artist hector ortiz he did a few paintovers on what i'd already set up as the basics of what we saw on the show to make it just look a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more detailed and then i took that and just fleshed that out so I did the bridge as it was in the show. And then I was like, this is kind of boring. It's a few years later anyway. So what can we add to make it a little more interesting? And I got to just go crazy with that and had a lot of fun. So it's really just a process of starting with what you do see and then just expanding upon it and making sure it balances out and make sure it looks like it lives in the same interior and same environment that it would in the show. Yeah. And for those ships that we have seen, maybe we have seen full models, but maybe they were the studio model. They were actually physically built rather than being digitally modeled. I know Tobias, you do 
quite a lot of research before you actually build the ships digitally. And I know that starts with a ton of research. Yeah, it depends. When I did my high-risk models, I, of course, I'd search all the available pictures on the net. Now with uh, STO, as I built the low-risk models, uh, I usually get a lot of reference material from Thomas and I do my own research as well. And sometimes we even get the original models from the show, which is a big help because you get all the proportions right. Even if you can't use the actual models, yeah. it's a really big help. I know one of the ones you just got into STO was the remodel of the Luna class, as well as the brand new Titan that Hector Ortiz did the concept art for. So you're getting this concept art from Hector, and then you're actually having to take, okay, well, this is the artist's interpretation of what the ship would look like. Now I've got to actually build it out. Right. I mean, I get the drawing that Hector does, and sometimes, or most of the times, I get the basic 3D model that he does, which is also a big help in search of dimensions and how each thing relates to another because it's not always visible in the picture that he does. I mean, he does really great work. I admire his yeah. art really a lot. And I, I try to be as accurate with his renderings as well. I try to represent every little bit that he puts in there as, mm. as close as possible. The, only the things that I don't see that are not visible, I have to flesh out. And that's nice because you get to flex your creative muscles, what you really you know, are passionate about, which, of course, Starships itself, but also yeah. that design element. You know, you do see his concept and there are those parts where, you know, OK, I can make that. That's easy to model or that's what I'm going to take it. But you see these other parts that aren't there and you get to actually be creative and not only get it into a game it's not just someone getting to see that in a mission they're going on they're actually flying that their captain who's a character in the game this is the ship they're commanding there's that emotional connection to that ship and you get to play a part of that i think that's pretty cool yeah i mean it's amazing i i actually don't play static online that much i have played when it came out Mm-hmm. But I don't have the time anymore. But um, it was always fun to play these ships and to imagine that a lot of players play with these ships that I built. It's yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And I think, Donnie and Tobias, what's really cool about your work is that you don't only work with Star Trek, you work with other science fiction uh, renderings. And I'm just kind of curious as to, on, on one hand, the technical parts of these different franchise ships, you know, Star Wars, for example, the way that the ships fire their weapons and move, it's essentially the same. But I'm kind of curious as far as the more nuanced differences, when you go from the actual art itself, is there a bit of a different kind of conception? with these different franchise type of ships? Well, Star Trek and Star Wars are very different in their design philosophy. Star Wars is much more greeble heavy. Mm. For those that don't know what greebles are, those are tiny little details that are you know usually glued onto a model to make them more visually interesting. Mm-hmm. But also uh, the stuff that I do, my personal work is usually done just as art and doesn't really function. So although I've modeled some TIE fighters and stuff like that, they don't actually function in a game. They're just pretty to look at. But yeah, it's, it's a nice to get a break from that same aesthetic that's Star Trek has, which is a little bit more, well, especially for Federation Starfleet stuff, is a lot more clean lines and and working on Star Wars gave me an opportunity to really flex my muscles at making those really highly detailed models that appeared in the, the old movies. I, I always actually thought the opposite. I always thought that Star Trek was more detailed in the technology and the design of ships. I've always thought Star Wars glossed over that. That's true. That's true. I, I was referring to the actual visual detail that's crammed in. Like when you look at the original Enterprise, it's very smooth and just featureless. And that was part of their design philosophy, A, to save money. Because 
because they didn't have the budget to really make highly detailed models. Mm -hmm. And B, it fit Matt Jeffries' in-universe explanation that if you're living in space, you'd want to put all the, the inner workings on the inside of the ship, not on the outside. Mm. So the Galaxy is a very detailed ship, the Enterprise D. But when you pull back, it's it's just it, all you see are forms. I guess it depends on what ship modeler you're speaking with, because we spoke with Mark Rademacher last week and his detail down to the grills on the nacelle. Uh, but it's actually interesting because, you know, these details, like you said, you can pull out and you can see that shape. But like Tobias, your work, you aren't getting a ship just ready for a single image that's further back. You're actually doing full-blown animation. So there's a lot more thought, I imagine, that goes into, okay, the camera is going to be panning around the ship in this way, or it's going to be this kind of flyby, and they're going to see these details as it goes by. So there must be additional planning that goes into that compared to a static image. It, it depends on if you know how close you get to a ship. If you know how close, or if you know which part you need to get close, it can detail that part a little bit more. If you don't know it beforehand, you have to detail the whole model. I usually model as efficiently as possible because I come from the game background and mm-hmm. the high-res models were but done afterwards. So I try to model it with low polygons to keep things smooth. But nowadays, with the smoothing of polygons, you get more detailed models without actually using more polygons. To add what Donnie said about the greebles on the Star Trek starships, I had the pleasure to work on some Discovery ships for STO. And let me tell you, they have a lot of greebles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And you could see them when you zoom up into it. It's actually incredible. And I think it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between, is this a CGI render? Is this a uh, screenshot from Star Trek Online or something else? Or are else? they actually like... just taking a selfie on that ship? <laughs> sometimes it turns out really well, especially if we make a special texture for it. Usually we have a set of a standard textures that we have to apply right. and ha- have to make it as good looking as possible but if you can make a special texture for that ship it can get very close to the actual ship from the show you know and with you both working of course in the franchise you got to ask to model the galaxy and that happened and i'm sure there's some other ships out there that you'd really love to you know intake and get into sto or redo well i'm always a big fan of the motion picture and this kind of area the reliant the enterprise mm. the excelsior the grissom but all these ships have been modeled so um i can only wait for another refit i'd really love to do a remaster of the Dedera decks Ooh, yeah. <laughs> if we ever get that opportunity it's not too old it's not too bad but if that opportunity ever comes up i definitely grab that and I think our Oberth is due for an upgrade, and I'd love to do that too. Tobias is calling it. I can see his. He's he's calling it. So me and Tobias may have to fight over that in the future. Okay. You can you can each put one out. Hey, you know what? The community of Star Trek Online asks for a T6 version so often. Just put out two. Like why not? Right. We're very aware of those requests, and that's all I'll say about that. Well, Tobias and Donnie, we're sure that you've got a lot of work to get back to, and those greebles definitely won't do themselves. So (laughs) before you get back to work, we've got five rapid-fire questions for you both. Oh, God. I know. We're going to torture you guys. No, just kidding. (laughs) We want to know the first answer that comes to your mind. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Tobias, you're up first. Your favorite ship? Enterprise. A. Your favorite series? Mm, Probably Next Generation. Favorite captain? Picard. And if you were going into Starfleet, would you choose the command, science, or engineering career track? Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably command. (laughs) And keeping in mind all the drama that would come along with it, 
based on what we've seen throughout the various series, would you accept the power to become a Q and gain omnipotent powers? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Too risky. <laughs> Wouldn't trust yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Donnie, your turn. What's your favorite ship? Uh, the, um, the original Enterprise. Favorite series? TOS. Favorite captain? Kirk. Command, science, or engineering? Command. Now, would you become a Q if you have the opportunity? Did we learn nothing from that episode where Riker got Q powers? <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't. Too much responsibility. Uh, Even with a traffic jam, you, you're thinking, you know, you wouldn't? You know, I just moved like right down the road from our studio, so I don't really have to deal with traffic jams anymore. Well, Tobias and Donnie, thanks again for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. While you head back up to the transporter room, Brandon and I are going to move to this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, community members were asked to send in ships they'd like to be placed in the proverbial space dock, and they could be any ship from any species from any time. We're now going to pick two of those that were submitted at random and have them go head to head. All right. So thank you, everybody, for your wonderful suggestions. We got a lot to choose from. So for the first ship, hold on. All right. Ooh, Klingon Bird of Prey. All right. All right, let's get the second one here. I have, oh, oh, oh a Borg cube. All right. <laughs> have we actually seen a Borg cube versus Klingon Bird of Prey on any of the movies or shows? I don't, I can't think of an episode or anything where we actually saw that. Okay, I'm going to say no, and that's my final answer. But if I am wrong, <laughs> I will blame this on some me. type of mind. Blame it on me since I said it. Yeah, I'll be. A, I'll blame it on some mind control thing. But you know what, Brandon? Yeah, okay, okay, what do you think? Tell me, Borg Cube, Bird of Prey. Okay, well, first off, Bird of Prey can cloak, right? Mm -hmm. So it has it going for him, that right. but it can't necessarily be in combat. I think it you know, depending on which cloak they have, some can fire torpedoes through their cloak. Um, it's pretty zippy. So, you know, the Borg cube relies on its beams. It's got its tractor beam, its cutting beam, um, and, you know, it's got its own energy beams that are, can fire out from it. So, I don't know. I feel like the Klingon Bird of Prey, you know, it could zip around and maybe take the Borg cube down slowly. Although, what do you think? Do you think a single Bird of Prey could take down an entire cube? No, I don't even think it's close. So, and I also think it would, it's highly unfair. Maybe the only thing that would be more of an unfair matchup is the Borg Cube versus Peanut Hamper, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing. The Borg Cube, when you look at it from a design perspective, every part of this ship is meant to be efficient for what it does, mm -hmm. right? It, it pretty much, it has this huge mission and the ship, every ship, especially the Borg Cube, assimilate, destroy, further the Borg's objective. Okay, yep. so the tractor beam, the laser cutting beams that you mentioned, the there is a type of missile uh, projectile that it has, the type of shields yep. that it has, transwarp and normal warp capable engines. This ship is built for one reason, well, multiple reasons, but it has one main overarching purpose, which is to absolutely dominate. Now, the bird of prey, on the other hand, has a larger scope of what it can do. Mm -hmm. It can be used for mm -hmm. peaceful missions, for, for research to the degree that Klingons do research. It could also be used as strafing. It can, large of them are used in attack wings. So, you know, head to head, I one cube versus one bird of prey, 
I don't think it's even close. But you're right. The cloaking capability does give it something that the Borg ship does not have. Yeah, I think you've kind of nailed it there. That said, I think the Klingon Bird of Prey, you know, if it wasn't necessarily having to fight, if they weren't necessarily going head to head, if they just needed to wait it out, probably the Klingon Bird of Prey could survive by kind of zipping around. It'd be pretty boring to watch. Um, but I think it needs some reinforcements to actually take down the Borg cube. You're right. I'm going to play devil's advocate from my own point of view here. And I'm actually going to say that where the Bird of Prey actually could have a tactical advantage right is that the borg in a way are highly arrogant right so i could definitely see the bird of prey you know with the, with the correct crew somehow pretending to be weak or damaged and not seem like a threat the borg could scan it overlook it and then they could just blast some you know some type of special weapon that the scrappy underdogs always get in star trek and i could see them somehow overtaking a borg cube that way so it could happen. I think we're then both agreeing Borg Cube technically wins this fight, but we'll put an asterisk on it and say there's some variables to consider. Well, and I have to say, as far as what would be more fun to hang out on would be the Bird of Prey, because obviously blood wine and gah. Yeah, I would as well, but that's that's not what this is about. This is about that pew, pew, pew. That's true. So, you know, well, very good discussion on that. Um, if all of you would like to participate in the weekly drills, we announce them on our Twitter towards the end of each week, so do keep an eye out. I think that's it for this week, and if you can believe it or not, this is actually our last official episode of 2020, because Robbie and I are going to take the next two weeks off to celebrate the holidays and New Year's, but we're not going to completely leave you hanging. We're going to release a supplemental episode between now and then that will include a little holiday flair, a short retrospective look back at some of our favorite moments since we launched the pod a couple months ago, some teasers of our guest lineup for 2021, and a sample of sorts that includes portions of our expanded chats that we had with all of our guests that contained additional topics that only a handful of people have ever heard before. We're really looking forward to this special also so that you can have an opportunity to get to know Brandon and me a little bit better. We also want to be able to get to know you better and we're so excited to have James on board to help us reach out and be a part of the community more. Yeah, it's so cool to have a full team with him, George, and ourselves making ship happen. That said, we do want to announce that our next official episode will release on Friday, the 8th of January, 2021, which is kind of crazy to say. And we're going to be joined by Star Trek's Ben Robinson. I am beyond excited to chat with Ben. He is a well-known Star Trek author, including Starship Documentation. And he also manages Eagle Moss and Hero Collector's collection of Star Trek's ship models. I remember meeting Ben actually at Star Trek Las Vegas uh, a few years ago at the convention. He was actually debuting the model line with the first edition, the Enterprise D, and now they have hundreds of models available. If any of you, like myself, who have read the Star Trek books and have always had any kind of a question or you had something that popped to your mind when you're reading these books, if you want to ask Ben anything, reach out to us and let us know. It's going to be a really fun and interesting conversation. Absolutely. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, check out our awesome merch. Wear our logo and send us photos of you out and about sporting it. And also make sure to click the link to our Patreon at the top of the page and view the special benefits we're providing to our wonderful and lovely patrons, including expanded chats with all of our guests. You can send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We love getting emails from you, so keep sending in your feedback and comments. In addition to the entries for the community queue, Robbie and I reply to every single email that comes in. I love reading the emails, and I definitely enjoy the tweets and all the interaction from the community. 
Speaking of tweets, we are also on Twitter at ShipTalkingPod. We love engaging with the community there, and it's where you can participate in the all-hands-on-deck drills. And since you mentioned Twitter, some of you may be listening to hear this exact part of the show. As announced on last week's episode, we partnered with Star Trek Online to run a giveaway over Twitter, and I'm excited to announce that Julia, who's known as AtStudiesJA, has won the competition. Congrats, and watch out from a DM for us with more information. That is so cool, and I... Thought I entered myself like 20 times. I'm not sure. <laughs> I removed all of your submissions. Oh, man. Okay. Well, you know what, Julia? Congratulations. I really hope you enjoy that. And for all of you in the community, we'll definitely do this again. And we're looking forward to the next show. Yeah, congrats, Julia. As always, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all of the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get a direct link to the show from there. And a very special thank you to our audio engineer, George Davies, who does all the audio magic behind the scenes. We couldn't get our episodes out without him. He is even more efficient than a Borg Cube, I think. Thanks so much, George. And thank you to all our listeners for all your support each week since we launched just a couple months ago. It's been an absolute blast putting out a Star Trek pod for the community. We really, really love doing this. We really do. And I think all of us have had a very challenging 2020. And definitely for Brandon and I, this has been more than a dream come true. And we love the fact that, as you all know, the Star Trek community is so close. And even though we all have very different opinions on every single thing, we all are unified with our love for Trek. Exactly. Well, everyone, have a very happy and safe holiday season and a great new year. And we'll chat with you all in 2021. Cheers. Pip pip cheerio. Wow.